It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Tundalk and Cavan. Discover the all-new Renault Arcana at Blackstone Motors that comes with a five-year warranty. Call us now to arrange a test drive or visit blackstonemotors.ie for more details. It's Friday and you're very welcome along to the late lunch here on LMFM on a wet and dull afternoon. It's been quite nice and warm all week, but today a bit uh, bit dull. I know certainly when I was leaving Dublin this morning, it, the heavens opened, but let's hope it gets a little bit better. I don't think it will, though. Uh, do get in touch with us. We're here until half past three. The email, as always, is info at lmfm.ie or you can text us on 086 1800 658. Now, coming up on today's show, a personal trainer who suffers with severe scoliosis refuses to let her condition interfere with her love for marathons and all things that are fitness. Um, Former Detective Sergeant Alan Bailey will discuss the exhumation of baby John this week in Kerry. The tot was one of of the uh, Kerry babies and I'm sure many of you remember that terrible, terrible tragedy involving two babies. Are you a letter writer like me? We'll be speaking to the founder of the Letter Appreciation Society, which got the nod from Stephen Fry. And ahead of National Bike Week, we'll be looking at the potholes in Drogheda. I'd say that's a pain for everybody. Imagine after all the work that went into the roads around this country, we still have major, major potholes and black spots and you name it. Um, Owen and Irene O'Connor will mark the first anniversary of the Heart Angel and we'll also be looking at the Ginger Nut Arts. But first, we have a very special guest today. Uh, She's a super fit woman. Eva Butterley, who suffers with scoliosis, is not going to let the condition stop her from embracing her fitness. And she's on the line now. Eva, how are you? How are you doing there, Alison? How's things? Good, good, good. I've been reading quite a bit about you. Um, You're incredible. You're absolutely amazing. You have scoliosis, but you're doing marathons. You're a personal trainer. It's all about fitness for you. And and, And that is something that you just wouldn't think was possible with scoliosis because it is such a, such a severe uh, condition to have. But uh, no way, says you. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, you know, I actually feel like um, fitness was the thing that kind of saved me and it's the thing that kind of helped me manage the condition because, you know, I was kind of told for many years um, after I had my surgeries that, you know, I should avoid contact sports, um, I should avoid uh, impact sports. Um, so I was kind of really afraid for a lot of years to really try anything in case like I injured myself. Mm. And then it was only when I was uh, 18 and my brother brought me to the gym and started kind of teaching me how to 
lift weights that uh, I realized that I didn't have to be wrapped up in bubble wrap that, um, you know, I had a body and, and I could use it uh, despite having uh, curves in my spine. I was still, um, you know, the, the same as everyone else with a few different uh, variations in there. I know. And you see, it's the curvatures in the spine that are very, very shocking to look at. But I think what people forget is when you have a lot of surgeries done uh, to correct these, it's hugely helpful, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are certain things that are a bit harder after you have a fusion. For example, like mm. because some of your vertebrae are fused together, you can't bend your back. You can't do ab crunches. You can't do those type of bendy movements. So you have to learn how to, for example, like hinge at the hips instead of um, bending at your back. So there are a few different things you need to watch out for when you have a fusion, but um all very workable within, you know, a, a fitness routine as well. And so you're a personal trainer, you're weightlifting and marathons, like there's nothing you can't do. <laughs> <laughs> and you're also in Game of Thrones. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah, sure. Just, just you know, um, my spare time. <laughs> um, yeah. I think we'd all love to be in Game of Thrones. But anyway. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, I was very lucky, um, Alison. You know, I, I hadn't... Um, like I have a uh, background as an actor, um, but when I got cast in that, that was literally like the first TV show that I'd ever done. Um, wow, uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, no, you're going to just have to fill me in now. I, I'm not going to keep you too long on this one, but you, you apply, you do an audition, and next thing you're in Game of Thrones. Yeah, well, I just, you know, I'd recently got signed with an agent in Ireland, and... She um, sent my headshot in to the casting directors there and, and they were looking for someone with a specific look for, um, you know, a small role in it. I was uh, portraying this uh, Marjorie Terrell character and, um, yeah, I suppose I just kind of had the look that they were going for and, um, you know, look was on my side at the time. So I got the role. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. I need to ask you now, I mean, I've, you've you've so many images of yourself and you keep everybody and your fans and your followers uh, up to date on how you manage um, your fitness. But I do want to ask you about children because I know you were diagnosed as a child with spina bifida in and around 12 or 13. Um, and I've written a lot of stories about children with scoliosis in the last year. And one of the things that came up was in 2017, the then uh, health minister had said that the waiting lists would be cut right back to four months and in fact he said no child shall wait more than four months on a scoliosis waiting list and yet last year I was covering repeated stories of children in and around the 12 and 13 age still waiting for scoliosis operations. Now I do understand COVID slowed things down but this was way back in 2017 he made this firm commitment. You know what those children have been going through and it, it is a big issue in Ireland at the moment these waiting lists. How do you feel that the issues are still there these waiting lists are still problematic uh yeah it, it really is um terrible Alison you know it, it is heartbreaking um to think that you know there's there's young children um who've been diagnosed with this condition um, and teenagers as well and their uh their condition is getting progressively worse um while they're waiting so you know it, it really is uh it is heartbreaking and 
that COVID really hasn't helped much uh, with the conditions. Um, and I think uh, um, a lot of what they're doing now to expedite um, children getting seen to is, uh, you know, bringing them over to different countries like, you know, Germany and, and Turkey and that um, so that they can get the surgery done. But, um, you know, it's, it's obviously not ideal. Um, you'd want to think that you'd be able to get your child seen in your own country. But um, such is the medical system at the moment, unfortunately, you know. It's hugely disappointing for children because, I mean, just explain to our listeners what it's like to have scoliosis. I mean, it's a curve in your spine. I mean, I've heard stories like, you know, your your one child told me that her spine was twisting into her lungs, like the, that. You know, it was twisting and causing so many problems, and she became afraid. She was afraid to do anything. Yeah, you see, there's kind of varying different degrees of scoliosis. You know, there's curvatures. Uh, under 50 degrees that uh, don't uh, don't require surgery if uh, the curve doesn't get worse. But the curves over that, um, they can cause, you know, severe respiratory issues. Um, as you were saying, the, the spine can uh, curve and twist so much that it can um, affect lung function um, as well as, you know, digestive issues. Um, as well as the people... Um, People with scoliosis have really terrible body image as well, right? Because uh, because the spine uh, twists and it causes the cage to uh, rotate out of place and causes, for um, the medical term, is a rib hump on your back. Um, a lot of children have this kind of perception, you know, that they're ugly or you know that they're the the hunchback of Notre Dame and, and this oh, type gosh. of thing. So it's because really, really terrible um, body image, um, especially nowadays where everything is kind of focused on, on looks or kind of living in the social media world. And, you know, children at that age, you know, they're vulnerable and they um, are impressionable and they don't have that kind of sen- sense of self-confidence yet. So it's both the physical, but it's also the um, the emotional as well. That's uh, it's really difficult about having the condition. Well, you look absolutely amazing, Eva, and you're doing everything from hill walking, as I said, to weightlifting, to personal training and even acting in Game of Thrones. Tell uh, our listeners where they can find you if they want to follow your story. Oh, yeah. Um, if you're on Instagram, it's just my name, Eva Butterly. And if you are on Facebook, it's Eva Butterly Fitness. And uh, yes, send me a message if uh, you have any questions for scoliosis or fitness or anything along those lines go to the expert go to the expert (laughs) well you look absolutely amazing and you're an inspiration and I'm delighted that you just get on with things as as you have to do in this life Um, and you look you just look amazing Eva thanks so much for joining us here on The Late Lunch Oh, thanks so much for having me, Alison. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. That's the lovely Eva Butterly who suffers with severe scoliosis, but it ain't going to stop her from being a super fit personal trainer. We're going to take a break. It's the late lunch and we'll be back to talk about the Kerry babies after the break. Come back to the late lunch with me, Alison O'Reilly. The text number is always 0861800658. You can WhatsApp us as well and email us at info at lmfm.ie. Still to come on the show, are you a letter writer? We'll be speaking to the founder of the Letter Appreciation Society. Get the stamps and pens and envelopes and everything out and start writing again, she says. Ahead of National Bike Week, we'll be looking at the potholes in Drogheda and everywhere else, I think as well. And Owen and Irene O'Connor will mark the first anniversary of the 
heart angel. But first, the remains of a baby who was found dead on a Kerry beach in the 1980s were exhumed by Gardaí this week. And baby John was exhumed at Holy Cross Cemetery in Cahar Savine and taken to the morgue at University Hospital in Kerry as part of an ongoing investigation into the case that was never solved. And he was known as Little Baby John and he was found on the White Strand Beach in 1984. So joining us on the line now is a former Detective Sergeant Alan Bailey who's going to tell us a bit more about the case. Alan, how are you? Good afternoon, Alison. How are you? Thanks very much for joining us here on The Late Lunch, Alan. I mean, this is a just a heartbreaking story that's it, just gone on for years. It really has. But as a former investigator, I welcome this development, Alison. I think it's a very, very positive development. Alan, why did it take so long, though? Well, what did, over the last number of years, the Garda Court case unit, of which I was the former sergeant in charge, had a full review of it. And they decided then that they'd ask the candidates in the locality for a DNA samples from locals. The purpose of that is that they have, they'll then have these samples and they can do what's called a familial search in the DNA database. That's to say they're not looking for the person, exact person, but they may turn up a cousin or a brother or a nephew or something like that of the person who was involved in this. Mm. Uh, with all the the, the furore that went on at that time, what's often forgotten is that you had baby John who suffered a savage and brutal death. Yes. And we kind of overlooked that with all the talk about the injustice that was visited on the Hayes family and that. And it was a huge injustice. And this, of course, is Joanne Hayes, who was wrongly accused Joanne, of baby John's murder. Yeah. And, her, and her family accused of assisting in the disposal of the body and all that and all that went on. And she, for some reason, this poor woman was accused of, of baby John's death. Yeah. And that was miles away. Nothing to do with her. Nothing to do with her. The only thing they had in common was that Joanna was pregnant. That it was known to have been pregnant. I know. And, it was a real at mess. The time, yeah, at the time, also because of our society, Joanna was unmarried and mm. a lot of stigma attached to that as well, you know. Yes, she had a baby with a married man. And, uh, correct, and yeah. that just brought terrible shame and stigma. Oh, but I mean, it plagued her for for decades. It is, it is. But and it only, only I think it's only last year, the year before last, the Gardaí actually apologised. Yeah. For the manner which we had been treated, and I was delighted to see that. Yeah, no, it was great for her. Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah. a whole lifetime of of harrowing, harrowing tragedy and despair for that family. But back to baby John, Alan. I mean, tell us about the circumstances of his death that we know of. Yeah, well, baby John's body was found wrapped in a in a fertilizer bag that had been swept in onto the beach. And it's, when the when the bag was opened, the body was found to have suffered horrific injuries. You know, total overkill with stab, stabbings. And uh, one wonders how anyone could hate a newborn child to that extent. Unfortunately, it, it went on though, Alan, it went on. It, it did, it really, really did, it did. And that little precious tot uh, was found by somebody and then buried in uh, buried in Kerry, but That's never true. received justice. And I mean, no. let's take the mother, the father, the family, everyone out of it. This is about the child, the child, yeah, the, and it should have always been about the child. It should, yeah, and the child should be seen as, be, as being the, the victim, as an any murder, and it was a murder. And we, as I say, we we've, we've forgotten about John with all everything else was going on. And I, I, I saw some correspondence today that says, you know, there's no appetite out there to prosecute the mother. Nobody said the mother did this. No, we don't no, know no. what happened. We don't, we don't know who, who, what happened there. 
who committed it. It was certainly somebody connected with the child, but that's as far as I'd be ever going to speculate. But Alan, regardless of anything, it is a murder. Absolutely, absolutely. And Alison, that's the point that's been overlooked for so many years. What's it like for, for someone like yourself, Alan, you know, being involved in a case like that or cases similar to this where there seems to be, you know, where children die in horrific circumstances? It's, it's one of the most sickening things you ever, you'll ever have to misfortune that to attend that, you know, the post-mortals of a, of a child. And over my, in my years of service, I attended hundreds of supposed post-mortals, but never would you be as moved as you would at a post-mortem of a child. It's horrendous stuff, really yeah, horrendous stuff. stuff. And you see, I, with the with the advancement of DNA now, I mean, people are finding their families by you know spitting into a little tube and sending away to ancestry. I mean, exactly, the, exactly. it's the the change is phenomenal. People are just bypassing, you know, um, the state and what you can and can't do. People are finding families themselves. So with the advancement exactly. in that technology, I mean, would you be hopeful? I would be extremely hopeful. As I say, I would welcome it as a very very positive move by the investigation team. The fact that they went, it's a huge undertaking, an exclamation I've been involved in, you have to get a ministerial order, the body has to be, or the the grave has to be identified, the coffin has to be identified. It's a huge undertaking. And it's not one you'll take on lightly. And I suppose with, with, with baby John, you know, the key really is the mother. You find the mother and then hopefully find what happened. Exactly, exactly. And that's what you're hoping for. And so, and then that uh, bring closure maybe to a mother who has suffered in silence because of how I was done to her child for a number of reasons. Yes, yeah, and 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 in all of this time, Alan, there's never been any clue as to who owned Baby John. No, nothing has ever come of it. And I mean, when we did a review, we looked at things like tidal effects and how far up or how far down would could have, this body has travelled, you know. And it, it still remains that we'd be happy enough to somewhere in the vicinity, maybe a few miles this way or a few miles that way along the beach but Pro- somewhere down there the Pro- secret lies yeah not probably not too far away not too far away yeah. well just just to reassure our, our listeners when an exhumation happens baby John has been laid to rest again now they- well, he will be yeah reburied immediately after and again you'll have your priest in attendance make sure that the proper rates not are given to the body as it's reburied well he was a little person he yeah, was a he newborn was, baby and yeah. what happened to him is horrible. Yeah, and, and again, as I say, it's important not to forget that. No. Uh, Alan, thank you so much for okay. joining us on The Late Lunch to, to talk to us about the Kerry baby. And please, God, they find who did this to this little please, fella. Please, God, they will. And there is some justice and closure. Absolutely. Justice for baby mm. John. Thanks, Alan. That's Alan okay. Bailey there, um, a former detective sergeant, talking to us about baby John, one of the Kerry babies, one of the biggest shocking stories to come out of Ireland uh, in the last few decades. And uh, please, God, the little child will get uh, justice. He suffered horrific, horrific um a horrific death. It was a murder. It was a murder. Welcome back to The Late Lunch with me, Alison O'Reilly. The text number, well, WhatsApp us because we have a bit of an issue with texting at the moment. 
You know the way it is with modern technology. It never all, it doesn't always work. But you can text us um, or WhatsApp us to 086-1800-658. The email is there as well. You can email us at info at lmfm.ie. And still to come on the show, we have Ian, our own, and Irene O'Connor will be speaking to us about the first anniversary of the Heart Angel. And uh, we're going to be looking at the potholes in Drogheda ahead of National National Pothole Week, I was going to say. Imagine, oh my God, National Bike Week. Um, and I know that there's a huge issue with potholes all around the country. But, uh, you know, really in the week, in the week that is the National Bike Week, you'd hope that the routes would be safe for everybody who's going to take on that huge task. Don't forget later on as well, the Ginger Nut Arts. We'll be discussing all about that as well. But first on the line is Dinah Johnson, who is the founder of the Handwritten Letter Appreciation. Society. Dinah, how are you? All right, thank you. Hi, Alison. How are you? Great, great to have you. The Handwritten Letter Appreciation Society. What a beautiful website you have just to start off with. Thank you. It's gorgeous. (laughs) Um, I made it myself. (laughs) Oh, it's beautiful. It's really nice. And you know, there is something really special about receiving a handwritten letter, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Oh, you can't. Oh, you. There's, there's no word for it, really, is there? I mean, the technology we have today is brilliant for keeping us connected, isn't it? But nothing beats getting a letter. I was thinking about okay, getting a letter. You know, we're so connected, aren't we, with WhatsApp and, and social media. But actually, to really get a letter, you feel so much more connected. So, yeah, definitely. And in order to, to, to par- be part of this society, you're not encouraging people to write a letter every day, are you? Oh, no. I mean, every day is a letter day. There's obviously a day, you know, every day you can write a letter, but you don't have to write one every day. No, not of course. No, of course. I mean, our, our society on the certificate, if people join, it says members will strive to keep handwritten letters alive by writing every now and then to whomever they wish. There's no pressure to write every day. No, not at all. And can you write a card, a postcard, birthday card? <laughs> yes, I always say. So we're kind of like a movement for inspiring, encouraging people mm. to write letters. So I had all this enthusiasm to write letters. Um, but yeah, I always say I'm not the letter police. So, you know, people can write whatever they like. You know, people say, oh, can I, you know, can I write it in a, can I write a little note in a card? Of course you can. You can write on a scrap of paper. You can get the fanciest paper you want. It's just sending that through the post that I think we're really missing out on. And I think whole generations are going to have missed out on it. Because I think from the 1990s, when kind of the birth of the internet and then social media and our phones and everything like that, it's so convenient, isn't it? I, you know, I love all that. Also, I'm not against the digital world. But, you know, there's going to be people that haven't ever experienced either writing or receiving a letter. So that was kind of the aim behind the society, to get us doing that again. And you got the massive thumbs up from Stephen Fry when you set this up. <laughs> Oh, and Dermot O'Leary and all these famous people saying, brilliant, delighted to hear yeah. about this. Well, I always, I always say letter writing is a real leveller as well. So, you know, if you can get a letter to somebody, it doesn't matter who they are, whether they're head of state or somebody you know down the road, it's just, you know, you can get to them and make a connection. And so I knew he liked to write letters and... I can't remember. I, I think I was having a moan about something, actually. <laughs> so I, wrote, I found an address and I just sent it to I think it was for his agent. I mean, they always get to them. Um, yeah, and he wrote back, which was very sweet. And actually, his letter was typed. So again, I always say that, you know, it's not, although it is the handwritten letter appreciation society, not everybody can, can write. They might have problems with their hands and, or, you know, uh, conditions. They can't write. So typing is fine. You know, it's just the fact that it's from one to one. It's that, you know, that intimate connection we don't really have 
so much anymore. So yes, he 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 did sign it, but yes, he did say um, bravo for setting up the handwritten letter appreciation study. And he wrote, thank you so much for targeting me with one of your entertaining and witty missives. <laughs> so check with that. Well, it's a great coup to have him <laughs> writing back to you and and uh, appreciating what you're doing. I mean, I know I'm forever saying, oh, Stephen Fry, you know, bravo. You know, but um, he hasn't written to say, stop using that now. So, yeah, he, I think he's on board. Well, I'm going to tell you now, I went home to my mother's the other day and there was a letter from me and it says, Alison O'Reilly, award-winning journalist, Drogheda County Loud. That's it. That's it. It went to the wrong house. But you know what? It found its way to my mother's house. And I don't know who sent it to me, right? But inside, it's a prayer. And it says to say this prayer three times plus per day. See, it was really nice. So somebody took the time to print that prayer off for me to put it into an envelope, put a stamp on it and send it just to Drogheda. I mean, Drogheda's a huge place. And uh, very well known. Journalist. There's lots of cases of that where people, well, obviously post in Ireland is the same. You know, they post men, post women, they find people, don't they? They're very yes. determined to deliver that mail. Yes. So, yes, as much this society kind of hangs on the fact that we have postal services. So, you know, as much as, you know, I, I write it and it feels like magic getting across where it's going to. I was delighted oh, to get that. Yeah, I've no idea, no idea who sent it to me, but I want them to know that I am very appreciative oh, of it. Lovely. And it was lovely to get it. Yeah. And uh, as yeah. you say, postmen are like detectives, aren't they? They'll find you because they have to get this letter to you. <laughs> yeah, it's a real like duty. They have a sort of duty bound to get them to people. So, yeah, you can have, you can, particularly well-known people like yourself, you know, you can put just their name and where they are and, and it will get them usually. So, yeah. But I, I, I don't even live in Drogheda, you know, so I went to my, my <laughs> mam and I was so, so delighted to get it, you know. My uncle, Jack, was a postman in Drogheda for years and uh, he took that job so seriously. And I remember when I was little, he used to say to me, make sure you write letters. And so... Right up until before he passed, I actually used to send him a card from everywhere I was going, even when he he got married and they had my gorgeous uh, cousin, Kira. And, you know, I was still sending him the odd little letter or card or something because he appreciated that. And he always said to me, no matter what, put the letter in the door, he said, even if they meet you at the gate, just get it into the letterbox because there's something very special about it. The postal services, they've been a lifeline, haven't they, this last year and a bit, but, you know, for keeping people connected. So, um, yeah, I, I think we owe them a lot, really, don't we, for, um, yeah. for especially for isolated or, you know, lonely. They, you know, letters have really meant such a, a great deal to people, haven't they, in this last Exactly, year. yeah. Now, we're talking Very to... Great uh, we're talking to Dinah Johnson from the Letter Writing Appreciation Society. Um, Dinah, have you come across some uh, criticism about the price of posting letters and parcels and what have you? Um, not, not so much, you know, not people haven't moaned to me about that, I guess, but um, sometimes people say, oh, it's quite expensive. I can't really send loads of letters. But I always say I don't begrudge the cost of a stamp because I think what you get from that is it's quite amazing. So, Yes, if you're only sending it down the road, then that's quite expensive. But, you know, it will go countrywide, won't it, for the same price? And, you know, what you get for that when you really, you, know, you can send a letter abroad for that, you know, for a certain amount of money and it will get there. So um, I, don't, I don't begrudge that. And I try to do a sort of comparison 
of how much you would get. So if we sort of, if we say, stand like a pound or um, euros. So, you know, you get a chocolate bar for that or um, a third of a coffee or something like that, wouldn't you? So I just find that, yes, it does seem expensive on the surface. I'd say make the less, you know, put as much as you can in for the weight and the size yes. if, you're, if you haven't got loads of money to, to spend on stamps. But yes, I mean, I, yes, it is an issue because I would like to write loads of letters and we can't really afford all the stuff. So I'm going to have to be a bit careful about that. But, um, yeah, I sometimes think it'd be lovely. Oh, because in Ireland you were, you were gifted postcards, weren't you, during the pandemic in the yes, start of it? Yes, we were all given free postcards. Which was a really lovely, yeah. Yeah, a lovely, really lovely idea. Yeah, and Canada yeah. posted it as well. It was a great initiative. Um, just a, yeah. You have 627 members from all over the world and you've got... Six members here in Ireland, including uh, Dublin and County Meath, Donegal and Cork. So you've got a Meath, we've a Meath listener out there, I wonder who's uh, who's writing yeah, to yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, so you just encourage everybody to, to, to get involved. But I mean, you've you've yeah. members from all over the world. Yeah, we have. We've got, you know, countries, we've got obviously UK, Ireland, USA, Canada, I was trying to listen to you, um, China, lots of places in Europe, Sweden, France, Germany, one in Brazil, um, I did gift one to Antarctica because there's nobody living out there, so we were never going to get that continent. But there's a place called the Penguin Post Office out there, so I did send a membership pack to them. But yes, I spoke to them. I actually spoke to one of the postmen out there. I did, <laughs> oh, yeah, the Penguin Postman, and uh, he he said it was one of the best jobs he ever had. Yeah, fantastic oh, living there. Brilliant. So yeah, we we are the Pen Pal Club. Uh, on the website, there is a. a page of organisations so people can find there are some lists on there that I know about I mean obviously lots of other ones but they're the ones I do know so people can get in touch if they really want a, a pen pal but the, the society you can join and it's like membership and you get a certificate and a badge and a, a little postcard and a letter oh, from me but lovely. it's life membership so <laughs> once you're in you can't get out <laughs> Well I have terrible handwriting I hope you have nice handwriting Well again I, like I said I, it's not about the fanciest paper or the best handwriting you know, or the fanciest pen. It's about connecting with somebody one to one. So, um, yes, I received a letter this morning with the most beautiful hammer, and I thought, oh, that is something to aspire to. Oh, but wow. it doesn't matter if you're writing to your loved ones and your friends. And as long as, I mean, I want to say it matters that you can read it, but I've had letters from children that I've worked with at an outdoor centre, and and I couldn't read them, but it was the fact that they'd, they'd taken the time yes. to write them to me, which was yes. really lovely. So they're all treasured, lovely, all the letters. Lovely, lovely, Diane. Or Diane, Diana. Uh, do you know Diana. what? My granny used to tell me to start typing letters to her because my handwriting was so bad, but there you go. So people can get <laughs> yeah, you, get, t- give us your website there. It's the Handwritten Letter Appreciation Society.org. And well, it is, it is a, it's a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> website. Diana, oh, thanks thank so you. much for joining us here on The Late Lunch on LMFM about your oh, gorgeous handwriting. Yeah, so we all get excreve <laughs> home a few letters now and a few, a few, a few. Well, uh, if it encourages, I would say if it encourages one person to write a letter, then that's a triumph. Brilliant stuff. Well, listen, thanks a million for joining us on the show. That's Dinah Johnson there from the letter handwriting letter appreciation society. They have a gorgeous website. Do check it out. We're going to take a break and we'll be back after this. Come back to the late lunch with me, Alison O'Reilly. The WhatsApp number, because our text system is down at the moment, is 0861800658. And just going through some of the WhatsApp messages that we've got in here, uh, someone texts us in to say they have scoliosis 
and they walk on one side and stooped and it's getting worse. Tried everything, have to sleep with four pillows. Pain is bad and depressing. So that woman, Eva Butterly, is an inspiration. Eva, of course, calls herself the scoliosis warrior and she's from Rush. She's a personal trainer, an actress. There's nothing she can't do. And uh, she is absolutely incredible and uh, she's getting a lot of praise here on our WhatsApp messages. Um, also, somebody asking, is Alison Francie's niece? Yes, I am. Francis Jiggins is my uncle. That's exactly who he is. Yes, he's from RD and he's one of my mothers. I think she's about 12 brothers. <laughs> I don't know. She's got a, she's, I think she's seven brothers. I think seven or eight. I'm not sure. She's loads anyway. There's 13 in that family. But yes, Francis Jiggins is my um, uncle. Now, uh, it's National Bike Week and to talk about the routes and the potholes and the flaws, Noel Hogan from the Drogheda Cycling Group is on the line. Noel, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. So, fill us in. Where are all these flaws? I mean, you think now in this day and age with all the money that's been pumped into roads and infrastructure and the whole lot that we'd be doing a bit better. But no, says you. <laughs> well, I, I suppose it doesn't, um, you know, it, it's, I suppose, an open and obvious uh, uh, secret, really. You know, there's Drogheda's has a fair share of potholes and bumps and things like that. I was even driving over one of the safety bumps on the Mel the other day and there's several potholes in that. Um, I think, I actually think Mel should have a few ramps because they're flying down there as well. But don't get me started on the road rage. Have you noticed as a cyclist, Noel, that since the lockdown restrictions have been lifted, it's like people can't drive or something. It's like they've forgotten how to drive. They're just mad on the roads at the moment. (laughs) Well, that's what I suppose we're trying to change as well. You know, we want to get to a a place where people feel comfortable and, and children especially um, feel comfortable cycling around Drogheda. You know, we want to to make cycling, I suppose, the everyday mode of transport. Just, um, you know, nothing surprising or interesting about it. Just uh, something that makes sense. And um, yeah, there is, uh, there is obstacles, of course there is. But uh, we'll bear in mind that all these uh, other places that are often trotted out as uh, cycling meccas like Copenhagen and Amsterdam and Europe, all of those places were, were quite choked with traffic and, uh, you know, lots of congestion uh, only a few decades ago. So I'm quite optimistic for the future of Drada. I think we're, uh, things will be a lot different in a couple of years, you know, when we'll see our kids cycling safely to school and uh, see people walking safely along and there'll be a lot less uh, road rage. Please, in many ways. Please so, God, um, yeah, yeah. That's my next mission to try and get a bicycle and uh, kind of ditch the car. You know, I live like um, three minutes from my job, <laughs> from my shame, my full time job. I drive, <laughs> I drive. Imagine it's an eleven minute walk or a three minute <clears throat> drive, Noel. Well, and uh, it'll be a nice short cycle someday. So when you try it out, I know but we do have to encourage people onto bikes, and I suppose we are looking for uh, to create a you know, sensible infrastructure that allows us to share the road with other road user, users. You know, We're not about uh, segregating people off, but there's a lot of things that can be done to uh, you know, calm traffic and to create space for cyclists. Because the more people that cycle, um, you know, that can cycle, uh, the more space there is for people who may not necessarily be able to cycle. You know, I bring my six-year-old to school uh, when I get a chance. Um, it's only a mile away from, from the house. And uh, me and him on the bicycle is one less car mm. on the roads mm-hmm. and one less car parking space for some mum or dad who might, you know, have no choice but to, uh, to drive. Yes, absolutely. No, I agree with you there. It's definitely the way to go. And I see more and more parents turning up at schools on bicycles as well. So name and shame the, the dangerous areas around Rahada at least. 
Well, I suppose there's quite a few of them, you know. Um, there's, uh, I suppose, as I said on Mel there, there's a couple of potholes, particularly on some of the, the speed bumps, which is um, not the best thing. And then, of course, uh, certain spots in the Dublin Road, there are potholes. Even, um, you know, some of the bridges coming into town, uh, the potholes get fixed and then they get uh, torn up again. Um, so it is uh, unfortunate. Even, at, you know, at the Bullring, with its five lanes of traffic, there's a nice big, uh, um, I suppose, Bridge in the middle of the road from from heavy vehicles, I'd say, which are ploughing up the tarmac. So there's, there are things to be fixed, but there's a lot that can be, you know, can be fixed easily enough, um, you know, and it won't take too much effort to fix it. And of course, uh, Louth County Council, to their credit, are uh, bringing in new active travel routes as well, which we're very much in support of. You know, what does it do to a cyclist when you hit these potholes? What 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 reaction can you have in your body? Well, I, I suppose it depends you know, on a couple of things, but it can be very Apart from falling off your bike now, nearly breaking your neck, which we don't want. Yeah, yeah, it can be uncomfortable. And uh, it does, of course, like uh, hitting any kind of bump, it can jar the handlebars and uh, it just it makes it more uncomfortable in general, so less people do it. And then, um, of course, the car, cars themselves, you know, hit speed bumps harder, they make bigger potholes. So um, it isn't good for a cyclist to hit these big chunky bottles and that's why we've been talking about and asking the, the county council to uh, fix them as, as quickly as possible because it's not safe for anyone and, and, our driver or cyclist. And you feel um, the county council is sitting up and listening? Well I hope they are. I think you know we're trying to change mindsets with our group and um, we've uh, submitted made a, a submission on the uh, 30 kilometre speed limit in, in uh, our housing estates here in Drogheda and we did get a response from them um, but it takes a lot of time and effort and this is one of the reasons why you know and bike week and, uh, and before and after we have our community bike rides you know we have to show that there is uh, that cycling is uh, you know uh, uh, a comfortable and pleasant mode of transport so we have uh, events every couple of weeks you've probably seen them on Facebook mm. um, it's open to everyone to join come along and we have a, a marshalled cycle route around the town maybe out to Baltray or out to Oldbridge Last night we had our, our first night cycle around the town centre. Oh, um, lovely. I'd say that yeah, was Yeah, nice. it was very atmospheric, uh, very entertaining. One of our members brought along uh, a little bit of music speaker, so we had uh, music for the ride. And, you know, we have had free high-vis vests to give to everybody, so it was quite safe, well-marshalled, and uh, an enjoyable experience. And part of that is letting others see, see us cycling and and normalising cycling for people who may have either stopped doing it for whatever reason and we want them to get back on the bike now and, and join us. And what time do you have those evening cycle cycle routes? Um, well, our first one was last night at 8 o'clock. Um, we hope to have a few more, you know, as circumstances and time permit. We usually put them up on our social media mm. page. It might be starting a bit earlier now as we come in towards the winter. Um, but... Uh, you know, it was a great event. It was our first uh, completely gender-balanced event, actually. We had an uh, equal number of males and females, which is a very positive thing to see. You know, I teach in a girls' school now, not in, in, in Drogheda, but um, I do know that uh, girls in particular are often put off from cycling. And, uh, you know, creating, a, a, I suppose, safe events like that is something very important to us as we, we want to win back younger why, people why especially. Are, why, would, why are girls less likely to cycle? Well, I suppose in terms of maybe there might be a multitude of issues, um, you know, uniform changes and stuff like that. But I suppose, you know, there is a lot of uh, traffic congestion, as you mentioned at the start of the of your, your piece there. And it's something that would discourage, I suppose, people of all kinds mm. from cycling. And, you know, it only does... When I cycle around Drogheda, 
99% of uh, the motorists I meet, pass out or pass me out are absolutely perfectly safe, reasonable and sharing the roads. But it only takes one, um, you know, noisy, uh, you know, a boy racer or a girl racer, I suppose, to uh, upset people. You yes. Know? So, oh, um, yeah. And they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah. Well, there, there's, uh, there's always one. But it is, yeah. you know, it is the case that most uh, uh, traffic or uh, car drivers in Drogheda are fairly reasonable. And sure, you know, we all drive a car at some point or another, you know, um, and hopefully some of these car drivers, they all, uh, they, they have a bike somewhere, you know, buried in the back of the garage. And mm. We want them to get the bike out. For people, I suppose, that for whom it makes sense, you know, I'm just popping into town, going to take the bike, need to go down to the news agents, get a few bits and pieces, shall I bring the bike, park it up easy, you know, and um, I suppose there's no parking charges for bicycles, which is, uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that live in air now, someone will get ideas. But, um, <laughs> no, you know, but we do want... One of the big issues that are facing cyclists at the moment is bike theft. That's a huge issue all across the country. Yeah, these, um, look, there's, there's issues in terms of, I suppose a lot of different issues in terms of, uh, Bikes and and even you know it's even hard to get bikes now in the last couple of weeks with uh, yeah. the, rest- the, the the lack of supply at the moment and it's become so popular. But um, you know we're I think determined to try and uh, work through all these problems and normalise cycling because it does you know you could be a bit uh, pessimistic if you look out and see a load of uh, track cars and you know going nowhere and. God, there's no hope of changing that. But change can happen and can happen quite quickly. And, and it only uh, starts with one person, Noel. That's it. Uh, or and one boy, one girl, and one happy child cycling to school can make a big difference 100%. and keeps on making the difference. Absolutely. You know? So you're with the Drogheda Cycling Group, and all of your community cycle rides and all of that, all of the details are up there. Yeah, they're all up on uh, social media. We put up, uh, you know, every couple of every we put up the next cycle about a week or two before we we do it, and uh, we're going to have a few more events. Um, might not have as many now in the winter. And of course, they're all weather dependent really as well. Mm. But uh, just go on to us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and like or follow us and you'll see the details there. And, it, you know, it's, it's completely free to go along on our rides. You know, we, we're not about, um, you know, cycling in Lycra and speed cycling. You know, we believe that uh, you, should, you should dress for the destination, not for the journey. So uh, if like I'm cycling it. into town for yes. a... A bite to eat, you know. I won't be going in into the restaurant in Lycra and Spandex. <laughs> no, stuff. thanks. No, thanks. Listen, thanks so much for joining us on the show here on uh, LMFM, Noel. Good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. That's Noel Hogan there from the Drogheda Cycling Group. And it sounds like they've got amazing, amazing events taking place. Check them out on Facebook. We'll take a break. Be back after this. Back to the late lunch here on LMFM. I'm Alison O'Reilly and I'm here until half past three. I'd love to hear from you. Our text machine is down at the moment, but do WhatsApp us on 086-1800-658 or you can email us at info at lmfm.ie. Have a text in here. Happy 70th birthday to Finbar Wall from Sally Gardens. Please play Green Fields of France. I'll leave that to Louise. She's the woman behind the mission here. She controls all of that. Uh, but do keep the uh, text coming in. Now, we have a very special item here and it's on the loss of a child because it is something that you will never, ever get over. But for one couple, they took all of that pain and all of that grief to highlight the story of their beautiful nine-year-old daughter, Bevan O'Connor, who died after open heart surgery and she suffered a rare congenital heart defect. And to tell us about the first anniversary of their charity, Heart Angel, which was set up in her honour, is her loving parents, Owen and Irene O'Connor. You're very welcome to The Late Lunch. How are you? 
thanks, Alison. Um, uh, we, we're okay. We're it's the day after the first anniversary, so we had her first anniversary yesterday, and um, it's I don't know. It's really strange because I think we were waiting to get to the first anniversary, and I didn't know what was going to happen then. But I think I thought if I got there now, it's over. But I think the reality is really stressing, and this is forever. You know, it's not just. Um, just the year, like where we, I, I, yesterday for the first time ever, I thought, "Oh my God, how many years do I have to do this?" Oh, so goodness. it's a new reality. It's a new, oh, you know, new milestone you have to think about. But we're just so lucky with the support from our community. I'm Carrigaline, and we moved to Riverstick in 2017, and both Carrigaline and Riverstick, and now Cork, and now it's even spreading up around Ireland. Just it's just incredible support for me. I just don't know how you were able to keep going in that awful, awful pain that you were suffering to set up this beautiful charity Heart Angel and to keep Bavine's name alive, her memory alive and to do all of this in her honour and to work with other families. Um, it's it's incredible what you've done. I think it's because um, when Bavine passed away, it was in September and of course due to COVID um, I had stopped working in March because I had my own company where we brought in students on the programme. So I had no work to go back to after Baveen died. And Baveen's our only child. She's our precious only only, only daughter and only child. And I was just so hard because the week or so after her death, I woke up and the, the next wave of COVID was coming and we were the 5K limit. And the house just felt like a jail. Couldn't see anyone, couldn't go anywhere. And then one day I was in bed and I was like, I have absolutely nothing to get up for. There's no reason for me to get out of bed today. And that's when I got a fright. And that's when Owen and I, Owen's with us here now as well, her dad. And we just said we'd, we'd have to do something. So we said we'd make some money for Make-A-Wish. Um, we, we needed 5000 to pay back Baby's wish that she got when she was four. So that we just started. We said, how are we going to do this? And we set up the Heart Angel Challenge. And we just challenged schools in the area to do a random act of kindness. And it really was for her cousins and her, her really good friends because they were struggling so hard because it's a really bad age, 10, to lose your best friend. Yes. So it gave them focus and it gave us focus. And suddenly we were at five grand and then it just kept coming. And like Billy made 100,000 for Make-A-Wish um, in Ireland. And also my, my cousin did um, a cycle in England. So altogether there was 100,000 raised. And it was at a time when charity really needed it because they weren't able to do other fundraisers and stuff. So it just gave us such... You know, a great feeling to know that other kids had had benefit and that they gave us something to do. But what happened was all the parents were saying, why didn't we think of it? Why didn't we just think of get, getting our kids to do random acts of kindness? And then it just spread around Carrick Line and people just do it now. Like you could be having a coffee one day and I was going to pay and the one behind me was like, that's my random act of kindness. And they, they didn't even realise it was me, baby and mum, today just doing it all the time. And that's where we decided to um, set up a proper charity and... We got official charity status on the 30th of April and it's just been a whirlwind since then. So we are launching hashtag the Heart Angel Challenge tomorrow. Um, when our, our, sorry, yeah, tomorrow's our concert is going to be live streamed at 7.30 from www.heartangel.ie. And it is a tickless concert, but we're asking people if they, you know, to give donations and we're going to be um, setting up Heart Garden, the Heart Angel Gardens, which is the garden for the community to do positivity and to spread kindness and the Heart Angel Challenge and the school is all around the garden. So there's eight themes for the school to do. So this year we're challenging every 
um, primary school in Ireland to get all of their children to do random acts of kindness and to be kind for the year. Um, and they get no homework. They get homework off that night. And then next year, it's going to be forgiveness. So we have a programme that we'll be giving to the schools that they follow. The following year is inclusivity and gratefulness, friendship, joy, love. It's just the eight themes of the charity. And it might be wonderful to speak a little bit maybe about the concert yeah. and Babine as well, if that's OK. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks, Anson. And uh, Dad, Owen, we'll bring you in there. I mean, the loss of a child is, there's just no words for it. Um, And you've you've spoken about being with Baveen when she passed and the words that you exchanged. I know this is very difficult and if you don't want to talk about it, that's no problem. Yeah, I suppose the words, there was an article, a fantastic article done. I was on the papers yesterday, it would have been in the Independent and the Examiner and it just goes through the... um, I suppose it was going down to theatre with Davey. And it, it, it's one of these things that sort of haunted me for the last year as well. Just that walk down to theatre and me reassuring her and her being afraid. And I was just telling her, like, do you really think I'd take you down here if anything was going to happen to you? And like, she always trusted me. She knew I wouldn't tell her a lie. And I honestly believed nothing was going to happen. And it was it was just putting her up and she was getting her anaesthetic and you know the feeling if you get an anaesthetic you know what's happening yeah. and she she was getting afraid and I, I just said I, I squeezed her hand twice which we, we always did to each other it was just a sign saying I love you and she did it back I said I love you baby and she said it back and then she drifted off to sleep and I just said it whispered it again into her ears as I left and walked out of the room and I, I was fully confident everything was going to be fine and, and to be honest it was like the operation was a success but it was just Something after just triggered it, and I know it's no consolation, but it was nobody's fault. But something just random triggered a cardiac arrest, and instead of her heart racing, it just stopped. And through CPR and through everything else, she just suffered other injuries that she never recovered from. And she would but, have, um, she would have she felt so much hope, like with her mom and dad being there. She would have had so much hope in her heart for that operation, and then for things the, to go wrong. The operation was a tough operation, and mm. we got a call at half past four that afternoon saying we couldn't have wished for it to go any better. And they said to us, "Come over at six o'clock. We'll settle her in the ICU, and you can come in and see her." So at about five past six, her clinical nurse specialist came down the stairs and said, "I go into the ICU now and check are they ready to see you." that you can go in and see her. We said, okay. So she went in and she came out and the nurse's face, there was something wrong, you could see. So Irene said, is she okay? And she said, I'm not, she's not. I'm sorry to tell you, they're actually doing CPR on her right now. Oh my God. So like, we were, we didn't know what to do. We couldn't stand, we couldn't do anything. And this went on then, it's went like the next, it felt like forever. But it took 25 minutes for them to get the surgeon back because he was gone, but they had her on CPR. And as soon as he got back, he had her back on life support. And everything stabilised. Her heart was fine then. They got her heart stabilised. But she, from the CPR, she actually suffered traumatic brain injuries because of her circulation system was different. It, there was nothing they could have done because if they didn't do the CPR, she would have been gone anyway. But Yes. Yeah. But it was there. Like we, She passed away on the 16th of September at about six minutes past four. And oh. I, I suppose we were with her right to the end until, until her heart stopped. I'm so sorry that that happened to you, Owen and Irene. That is, yeah. a, that's a, so heartbreaking listening to that. Um, just the grief and despair and the shock. You're preparing yeah. for an operation and then... As well, because in Crumlin at the time we were, it was COVID, we had to be COVID compliant. So as Owen said, when, when they told us this the exact words, he said, I'm sorry, we have to tell you, they're doing compressions as we speak. 
we actually, I just said to, to Kathleen, the nurse, can you please bring us to the family room? Because I didn't want to, I, I knew other families with babies of heart kids were all around waiting to go in to see their kids because it was kind, the afternoon time was just after quiet time so they get to spend two hours in the evening with them so I just didn't want to be I, I just have seen people before get bad news are coming and as a parent when you see someone getting bad news all you can think about is that could be me and I remember when we went into um, the family room I collapsed on the ground and Owen I looked up at him and he's bawling crying and he never does that and then I knew things weren't going to be okay and it's just as Owen said it's just and because of COVID we had to go in one at a time mm. I'll never forget walking into ICU after they got her stabilised and she was this beautiful, full of life, full of joy girl that we, we sent down, as Owen said, walked down to ICU on with her because one at a time we had to do it and then I went in and I stood over and she just looked so different. She, she'd bruise and she'd tubes everywhere and they told me, on my own, you have the sickest child in Ireland and that's when I was like, oh my God, how can this happen? Yeah, I mean, it's... I... There's just no answers for these things. I'm looking at her here online and she's absolutely gorgeous. Your total pride and joy. Um, what you've done for her is incredible to keep her memory alive, having suffered yeah, such a great loss. Because that's what we had. We we didn't, like, we weren't a family that went out on date nights and left her child. Like, she came everywhere with us through yeah. the three months of years. And we never left her because I wouldn't because I was always worried about her because she's such a complex condition. But she presents really well and she was. She was a really, really healthy child. As Owen said, it was a simple suctioning of her lungs. Like this could happen to anyone at any time and it's just so scary. But I think the charity, obviously we want to spread kindness and that's really, Heart Angels just has taken off. Like there's kindness and positivity stones being left everywhere down here in Cork and everyone in Carrigline and Riverstick at this stage knows her but another thing that we want to do is make it okay for the people of Ireland to talk to people who've lost their children because what I noticed is the first three days is fine when the funeral and everyone knows what to do but then it's the weeks and months afterwards of course. people just avoid you and don't talk to you again like we've had like it's, it's, it's mind blowing but what, what I say to people if you know anyone who's lost a child what we want there is no words I don't know what to say to me I don't know what to say to Owen Sometimes when he gets upset, there's nothing he can say. But what, what what I love and what Owen loves is when people tell us something that we don't know about baby in a story. Yeah, of course. It, like, it can be so small to you. Yeah. It's like, oh, baby came up to me one day and gave me a letter and said hi. Like, that just is so big to us because that's something she did that we didn't know about. So if you know someone who's lost a child and you know something or you had some funny moment or a funny story or a nice story, any story, and you mention their child, it just gives you burst of pride and also it's like I remember if a child dies twice once when they tell you the sickest child of Ireland and sorry we turn off the machine and they die but the second time they die is when people don't remember them oh. and that's why we're doing the heart angels so that baby and every single child in Ireland will be remembered and that people will hear our story and they'll know some people can't say these things in public but I really want everyone to know that everybody who's lost a child in Ireland they they want you to talk about their child they don't ever to be forgotten yes yeah and i just want that to become normal that like people know what to say like and that they know that it's not an awful thing we you're not reminding us that our child like when you lose a child the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning is, oh my god my child's dead last thing you do at night and every moment in between the day you remember her every few minutes so you're never going to upset us because people are upset that lose children anyway 
But this is a really good and positive way of remembering, you know, their child. Well, so important for them. I'm re- so sorry that this happened to you, um, Irene and Owen. It's heartbreaking listening to your story and I apologise for getting upset myself now, but I can't imagine what you're going through. But let's just remind everybody, Owen, about the concert tomorrow. Yeah, well, as I said to people, and just to link it back to the concert, like we had two choices when this happened. We either sat in the corner and curled up in a ball and didn't come out of it or we had to come out fighting and we had to do something. And Bevin was such a good child and it's I know everybody says that, but she was an exceptionally kind child. She always like she was the one in the class that wanted to make sure everyone was included and involved in things. So the Heart Angels came out of this, this random acts of kindness. And during lockdown there was a lot of people starting to do things like they were calling up to elderly neighbours and dropping like a, a bag of briquettes outside the door or things like this and like there was women coming out saying oh nobody's talked to me in months you know and, and there was people were realising as well just by like I got a we got a post a card in the post this morning from somebody who like part of this we have never met but I was so sad when baby passed away and she just said she was thinking of us and that sort of cheered me up seeing people thinking and that's what the whole ethos behind it is just it doesn't really have to cost money to do random act of kindness so the charity grew from that. And this concert came out then from um, some... It sort of developed from a story that Irene was had written about Bevin's well, life and about her kindness. We're, we're going to run out of time now, yeah. Owen. So I just want to remind everybody, um, and we'll, we'll have you back on, absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's 7.30 tomorrow yeah, night. Yeah, it's a Disney-themed concert, and we're hoping that the whole family will sit down together. It's online, it's ticketless. Everybody in Ireland can watch it. If you go on to www.theheartangel.ie, click the link and it's it's amazing. It's so beautiful. And beautiful. Angel B and Angel Quiver are presenting it and it's all Disney themed. It's a whole Disney concert and it'll be beautiful for, for, for family. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for sharing this inspiring and heartbreaking story, Owen and Irene O'Connor and uh our huge condolences uh, to you both on the loss of the lovely baby. And thank you for joining thank us here you. on thank The Late Lunch. Thank you very much. We'll take a break and we'll be back after this. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Discover the all-new Renault Arcana at Blackstone Motors that comes with a five-year warranty. Call us now to arrange a test drive or visit blackstonemotors.ie for more details. You're such a good-looking woman. Oh, you're such a good-looking woman. That's dedicated to my mother, Mary O'Reilly, Nee Jiggins from RD. Oh, they were all big Joe Dolan fans down there and I was dragged to all those concerts so I do actually know the words. Me and Louise were having a bit of a disco in here. You are listening to The Late Lunch here on LMFM. Keep the text coming and WhatsApp us because our text machine is down at the moment. But you can text us on 86 658 And if you were listening earlier, I was telling you about some tickets that we had for the Declan Nerney show in... Uh, St. Nicholas GFC um, in Pentony Park here in Drogheda on September 24th from 7 o'clock. Special guests include Louise Morrissey, Matt Levy and Emer Furlong and the tickets are only €20. But we were giving away two and the lucky winner of those tickets for Declan Nurney is Hilary Kavanagh in Kells in County Meath. Hilary, 
you're off to see Declan Nerney. Congratulations to you. <laughs> the mood is very high here after Joe Dolan. We'll take a break and uh, we'll be back after this. Come back to The Late Lunch with myself, Alison O'Reilly and Louise Walsh, producer on Backbone of the show. Backbone of the show you are, Louise. That's what I say. Um, uh, we have a texter in here. Wow, what a heartbreaking chat in bits listening to it and another great tribute song. That's, uh, of course, uh, referring to Owen and Irene O'Connor, who spoke earlier on the show in a powerful interview about the loss of their daughter, Bavin. Uh, keep the text coming in, of course, or WhatsApp, as I said, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. And um, to end the show on a nice note, we're going to talk about uh, Kelly Kearns, who's got an all-inclusive ginger nut arts and uh, new courses using arts and drama to promote equality for all and Kelly's on the line now Kelly how are you? Hello Alison how are you thanks very much for having me on No problem at all tell us about Ginger Nut Arts um, Okay well there's probably a backlog I could go into but I'll try and surmise <laughs> it so, Well what um, makes you different? What makes it different? Um, I think what makes it different is that um, what I've noticed over the years is an awful lot of um, you know young people, including myself when I was younger. What I wanted was fame and fortune and all these types of things. And while you know, I'm with you there now, Kelly. I think I wanted yeah, that too. I, yeah, there, there was an awful like push on that, and I think there was an awful lot of pressure on young people to be that you know, success and superstar and they would connect, you know, that kind of lifestyle and money with success as opposed to looking at well-being and happiness as a success, you know, and there's a kind of a science behind it. And what happened was when I started studying it, um, I had this passion because I started off in youth theatre and I wanted to be on stage and stuff like that. But as being a part of the youth theatre, I got to, you know, do various aspects and see how it worked. But it was about the artistic, social and personal development. So it was a holistic approach. So later on down the line, I knew I wanted to do something similar with that. And by chance, without looking for it, sometimes things find you. And as part of the process of learning it, I came across um, a thing called process uh, drama. And it looks at theatre of the oppressed, which sounds very kind of depressing in a way. But what it is, is it's a form of... um, I suppose I like a list of items that you can go through within the art, and it's ways of um, using the art, like looking at social issues that impact people, and using various artistic approaches, like basically non-formal education. So mm. instead of going into a school, having loads of you know, here's a book, read this, take it in, because everybody's learning ability and personality type and the way they absorb information is not always academic based. So it's getting to deal with difficult topics that impact people in communities of all ages, but an awful lot of my emphasis would would be on youth. Um, And essentially when I went into looking at my own story and how I was able to actually use the art to help me an awful lot through, you know, personal life um, issues, that I was saying, well, why don't I use something that I'm genuinely passionate about and you know, turn that into something. And the ginger nut part, actually, funnily enough, it was because uh, my granddad used to call me ginger nut um, when I was younger, and we were very close. He also, too, had red hair. And um, when I was chatting to people, they said, you know what, it's, 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 it's you, so, you know, you're doing this project, so why does not name it that? Because it's a little bit lighthearted and fun. So essentially, I suppose that's that's kind of the background of it. And, um, yes, yeah, so I wanted to start off grassroots because I'm from Drogheda. 
and um, I want to expand it and be able to like transfer the skills onto other people and essentially work with charity groups, voluntary groups that need that assistance um, and looking at alternative ways, especially helping young people um, in the areas of you know their growth and, and being activists in the community for, them, for themselves and obviously within you know their own uh, community groups or schools or organisations. And and how is it going down so far? What's the reaction been like to us? It's been exceptional. <laughs> um, you know, you take that first step and you're like, okay, I'm going to press, you know, post. Go. I'm going to press um, go. Yeah. And people are like, just do it. And I will give the same advice to people, but taking your own advice is never easy. So I just kind of, I went and did it and the response was incredible. You know, people are getting in touch with me privately sharing around, you know, the information because it does have a different spin on it. And people, they've been asking me for a long time, will you please do this for, you know, children? We'd love to send our kids to these workshops. And um, essentially, like, if this is the aim. I will be doing a lot more of the, you know, the children's workshops and, and young people. Um, I just started off with this particular one because the improv improve when that's coming up because there were a lot of people out there after COVID who had approached me and said, we're going through an awful lot of like social anxiety. We're having issues with having to go back into the workplace and do presentations and, you know, liaise with other people again, you know, because everybody's on a different level of their challenges coming out of COVID and how they feel about, you know, what, what is happening next. And uh, sometimes using little kind of like, you know, artsy tools in your mind to kind of like redirect you know where your mindset is and to use them as you know little kind of mental tricks and um, yeah this is basically what what this is all about so it's essentially using the arts to educate and help people and, and, and you've amazing topics there I mean you just cover everything anti-bullying LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. everything it's all in there employment education all for young yeah. people wellness mental health yeah. a huge broad range of topics Yes, um, I needed to uh, go into it head first, like, you know, not even thinking about it and taking on board every aspect of it because, you know, well-being and mental health and, and equality, equity covers a multitude. So you need to look at that umbrella and what falls underneath it. So as a result, um, and talking directly to young people and doing um, mm. projects with them in the schools, finding out from the teachers, but then essentially speaking, listening to the young people and asking them, what issues do you find? And it could be confidential, but then getting a collection back from people and saying, this is an issue that needs to be dealt with. So I did bespoke workshops and programs within the groups for, in particular, that you mentioned, anti-bullying and mm. for children, where we did buddy benches in the schools. And then there were the other ones, the employment ones, working with youth reach and, you know, literally giving them a, a platform to say, you know what, I am. I have a problem with this. I don't like the way I'm being told to do this. I don't mm. like this, that and the other. So the attitude that I was kind of saying to them was like, don't blame the situation, change the situation. Yes. So giving them a platform to be heard, giving them a platform to, you know, look at other options and to, you know, not be pally-pally, not best friends, but it, it's all driven through the participants. If they're all coming willingly, you know, they'll all have their different things to contribute, but it's a safe space to go to um, when wherever it is that they have a platform to be heard. And I think that's an awful lot of, a, a, a lot of the problem that has come up over the, the years for mm-hmm. when I was younger is not being heard. 
And yeah, I think that's, that's a, fun, it's a fundamental part of it all. Absolutely. So for our listeners who are looking to get in touch with you, where are you? So uh, currently, just uh, like on Facebook, uh, start, starting off the social media stuff, which is obviously very important. Mm-hmm. So you can get in touch, um, you know, it's, it's Ginger Nut Arts. It's on Facebook, um, so it's easy enough to get in touch. There is an email there, a phone number there. Brilliant. Um, there is a lovely piece from Drahada Life, you know, that's just very recently up, but ha- has the poster. And, and that's up online too. That's it. I mean, the Barbican Centre, um, so people can contact me here in, in the town centre. And um, yeah, so that's pretty much how people can Brilliant. Great stuff. Well, it's a brilliant initiative. Kelly Kieran's from Ginger Nut Arts. Thanks so much for joining us here on The Late Lunch. Great. Can I just mention one more thing really quickly? Um, yeah. It, um, it's just that at the moment, um, what we're doing is, is basically all for Amelia is a charity and um, that's for the, the little girl Amelia um, who, I, I don't know, I, she was featured on, on the show a few months back. And we're going to be doing an uh, online kind of, I suppose, competition for people to get some places on the upcoming um, camps and children's courses. So if people want to win themselves a spot and, uh, you know, all the proceeds will go to all okay. for Amelia. I just thought I'd let people know. Oh, thanks a million. Thanks. Well, listen, have a great weekend and thanks very much yeah, for thanks coming for on with us. Great. Okay, take care. Great stuff. That's Kelly Kieran's there from Ginger Nut Arts. Thanks so much to all our guests today. All our guests all week. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks to Louise Walsh, the brilliant producer. Flash dance, what a feeling. Yeah, love this song. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.